Be attentive. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. Peace be to you, the reader. Let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Let us be attentive. said this parable there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the property that falls to me and he divided his living between them not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country 
and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's a bit you, the herald of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Having grown up in Minnesota, 
There are no more painful words than two. Super Bowl. (laughs) Unfortunately, because of my father and my grandfather and other members of my family, I am a Viking fan. And today it is painful to think about the game. And the game has transformed remarkably. From the first one where it was $12 a ticket and no one really knew anything about it to it evolving into a media and entertainment extravaganza where few people even watch the game but are more interested now in the commercials. One of my favorite memories of watching football was my grandfather. My grandfather was a working man a man who didn't have a high school education, spent his whole life just trying to provide for his family. And when football was on, he was one of them. And he would get his chair in front, and he would march down the field with them, and when the defense was out there, he would try to do everything he could, figuring that if he could give them one last bit of energy, that they could win the game. It gave me many times to talk with him. We were very close. And I learned a lot about his life, what it was like for him being a working person. He had a lot of struggles. He had to go through the Depression. He lost his job. He couldn't provide for his family. They basically lived on borrowed time. Thanks be to one of the grocery stores for helping them out. He was also worked the train yards. So he'd be outside in the below zero weather, didn't have the warm clothes, didn't have any of the gear that we have today. He would have frostbite. He would bring his lunch. It would be frozen. And when he was out there, it was also the time when there were no unions. So he was the union organizer, and many times he would come home being beaten up after having fistfights, and it it was very difficult trying time for him. But his ultimate struggle was with alcohol. And it was something that tormented him and bothered him for probably two-thirds of his life. And it was a difficult thing for my mom It was a difficult thing for her brother. It was a difficult thing for my grandmother. Because he would be like two different people. He would be a wonderful, caring husband and father when he was sober, but when he wasn't, which was a good bit of the time, the house became pure hell. And it became very difficult for all of them. And despite... God always being there, being in the house, although at times it probably seemed to my grandma that he wasn't, she always continued to love him. She always continued to stand by him. She tried her best to protect the kids and take care of the kids and raise them to be strong Christians and to be loving people. But it was difficult for her and it was difficult for him. And I asked him once, how how did you overcome it? How did you get past this? 
and it was hard for him to talk about, and sometimes Grandma would interject. It was painful. I felt trapped. I felt guilty that I couldn't provide for my family. I felt guilty when I sobered up and realized what I may have said to them, what I may have done to them. But I didn't feel that there was a way out. I felt isolated. I felt that I couldn't talk to my friends. I really had nowhere to turn. I had nowhere to escape. And I asked him, well, what changed? How, how, how did things become better? And he said, one evening I came home and I was drunk. And he and Grandma got into a fight and things really got testy and the kids were hiding in the bedroom and it wasn't good. And finally my grandmother turned to him and said, George, let's go pray. And for some reason he decided that he would go with her. And he went with her into the back bedroom a very small house. He got down on his knees with her in front of the icon and they started to pray. And as he was doing that, the tears streamed down his face. And he sobbed and he shook and he basically said, I don't know what more to do. And my grandmother put her arm around him arrest him and said, George, you've already done what you need to do. See, what he had done is he had brought his problem to God. He was helpless by himself. He couldn't do it alone. He couldn't do it even though God was there wanting to help him through the family, through the tragedies that befell him through all the difficulties in his life, until he actually reached out and asked God to help him. God wasn't going to force himself upon him. He went to church, and again with tears streaming down his face, he had an open, honest confession with the priest. Bared his soul, was fully honest, and deep down in his soul, asked for repentance, wanted God to be merciful on him. And most importantly, he truly meant it. He wasn't just doing it to make my grandmother feel better. He got involved in AA. He started to become more active in the church. He and Grandma, every night, read the Bible together. He got involved in the choir. And every year, on the day in which he became sober, he celebrated with a banana cream pie. <laughs> and every year, until the day he died, we would buy that pie for him. We hear in today's gospel the prodigal son. And I think for so many of us, we've heard it, and we go on. When my grandfather 
was dying. He was riddled by dementia. He was just a shell of who he was. I held him in my arms and I looked at him and I was so thankful for him, for what he had done, for what he had taught me, for the struggles that he endured. I thanked God for what he had done for him, for giving me a loving grandfather that I could share football with, that I could share golf with, that I could just laugh with and have fun with. And I know that he did that for me because my grandfather couldn't do it for his own children. But as I held him, I realized at that point for the first time in my life the mystery of holy confession and repentance. The ability of God to change a life, to impact a life, and bring a person back to him if that person truly desires it and works for it. It was a struggle every day for him. I know it was. But every year, it got a little bit easier. And as with the prodigal son, as he returned home and his father saw him, the joy became more. As my grandfather came closer and closer to Christ and to the church, alcohol became more and more distant. That life, that chaotic, hectic hell that he lived, he left in the barn. The Super Bowl is an event. It's an event showing magnificent athletes doing fabulous things that common people like you and me are never going to be able to do. And we rejoice in that. But the game will end, a team will win, a team will lose, and we will move on, and there will be another game next year. Ultimately, the Super Bowl for each and every one of us is within our heart. It's the fight between being with God and being with the demons and the temptations of this world. As was said in the epistle, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our challenge, our struggle, is to stay with Christ. And the ultimate victory of our Super Bowl is God willing, we'll be with him in everlasting life. Amen.